Well, good evening, Pastor Brown, back with you once again, and I'm hoping that you've had a wonderful, wonderful week. It's an exciting time which we're living in with all these things that are taking place. Um, many of us are saying, boy, is the Lord near? Is the Lord near? He could be. We just don't know. Um, we're looking forward to one day being raptured out of here, being caught up, uh, being removed, and, and seeing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, bringing all this to an end. We keep praying that we want to see things change, and we want peace, but we won't have peace until the Prince of Peace comes. And that's the area in which only our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ can bring. Uh, I pray for the peace and comfort of those in Texas and just the things that have taken place here in the last few weeks of the loss of life, loss of loved ones. Totally unnecessary, but what we are seeing is a society that has no fear of God, no respect of law, no respect of life that was been given by God. So we're in a certain era. We're in a certain time. And uh, only God has the answer for it. And I pray that we would be a people who really seek him. And that our prayer would be that he would bring healing to our land. Yes, he's coming. We don't know the day nor the hour. But I believe our God is showing us what an ungodly nation could really, really be like if he was to totally remove his hand off of America. And my prayer is that he would be merciful to us and he would allow his grace to once again shine upon us. We're going to be talking today, <clears throat> continuing on, with this area in the book of Revelation. And some people would like to call it the tribulations. Um, the whole process is that what I'm looking at is certain events that will take place during this time that we find in the book of Tribulation. In the book of Revelation. And I pray that as we go through this that you would just learn from it in order to share with others what is going to take place and it is all future. We don't know exactly when the rapture is going to take place. Some people use it by an event and that's fine. But the Lord tells us to be watchful and to be ready. And that's what we want to be. Watchful and ready but we don't know exactly when he's coming let's pray and we're going to get into these three areas and the three areas we're going to get into is the mark the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage of the lamb it's all mentioned in the book of Revelation and we want to take a look at it we will spend maybe most of the time in the area of the judgment seat of Christ. But we want to be able to understand that it's going to take place during the time of tribulations or in the time of the book of Revelation. Though it's not mentioned in the book of Revelation, it is mentioned in Second Corinthians chapter 5. But it is believed that it will take place doing the tribulations and I believe that also so let's pray and we're going to get started father we just want to thank you and praise you for being the God who is merciful who is gracious and kind unto us no matter what our situation in life might be it is still your mercy that is at work and you are still the God of all comfort would you minister to untold thousands upon thousands of people 
who are going through difficulties, who are going through loss, who are going through pain, who are hurting at this very moment, would you reveal your comfort, your peace? Would you reassure and give hope? And would you allow them to know your love? Would you wrap them in your arms? Would you allow them to sense your presence? And may they understand they're never alone. They're never alone. But may they know thee, O God. And Father, we pray as we go through your word, you would open our eyes and our ears that we might hear from you. Minister to us all. And Lord, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we go to this area of the mark and the area of the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage of the Lamb, we don't know when any of these will exactly take place. What we do know is that they will take place before that second coming of Christ. That's the closest that I can put it. Some put it them in different areas and after different events, and that's okay. But I want us to really understand and to believe is simply this. The rapture is going to take place. The church is going to be caught up. Not going to argue about the churches in Revelation, not in Revelations. That's not worth taking time to argue about. Because believers are there. People are still being saved. And some people will argue that oh, the church is no longer mentioned after chapter 4 of Revelation. Well, there's a reason for that, and I think that's because of Jeremiah 30, Jacob's trouble. The book of Revelation is to focus on Israel, not on the church. That whole process is something that is taking place, but people are still being saved. People are still witnessing. And God uses some strange, and we're going to look at in some strange ways in which God, in a very personal sense, witnessed to people like he's never had in modern time. But it's going to be done, and we'll look at that later. But the rapture, what I want to assure you of is this. It's going to take place. When, again, nobody knows the exact time. That day or the hour, nobody but I do want to stress this. Adrian Rogers kind of like put it in the best words that I know. I'm pre as much as I can be. I would love to get out of here on the first train, on the first plane, on the first offset. I want to get out of here quickly. But he also goes on and mentions there is the pre, there is the mid, and there is the post. And those brothers love the Lord. They love the Lord Jesus Christ, but they just have a different position. And that's okay. They're my brothers in Christ. But what God is not going to do, as Adrian Rogers says, is this. He's not going to come back at the, for the premillennial at one time, the mid and the post at another, just to satisfy our views. When God comes, he's coming for his beloved church. He's coming for his beloved people. He's coming for his saints. And no matter what position we may hold, when he comes, we're going to be taken up, period. So all the debating in the world and all the other stuff don't really mount to a hill of beans as far as I'm concerned. And I imagine that had to come with age 
and maturing. Based on this fact, God's going to do what God wants to do in the time in which he does it. So I'm not worried about all this debating issue of different positions. I want the people of God, hear me now. I want the people of God to be watchful and ready and discerning, discerning the times in which we're living. And he tells us we should be able to discern the time in which we're living. And when we see certain things begin to happen, we should be able to say our redemption is drawing nigh. He's coming. He's coming. And I want you to be assured of that. Now, if you would please, go with me to Matthew chapter 24. And again, I want to just restate that we don't know that time or exact day. But he has given us specific instructions. And that's what I think we need to be about. Doing what he said do. Rather or sometimes this debating whether it's this or that. Because when it happens, whether it be the pre, mid, or post, when God says it's enough, come up here and he comes for his church and we hear that voice, that trumpet, that sound, whatever it will be, we're gone in a twinkling of an eye. All who believe and love the Lord Jesus Christ, we're gone. He's not going to come when I want him because I'm holding to this position or that position or that. He's not coming when you want him or when I want him, per se. He's coming just like when Jesus came in the fullness of time. When God says it's enough and he's ready to close out, he's going to do it. Period. Now I want you to hear what he says in Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 42. He says, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time or night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. And would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. That's the thing. Watchful and ready. Why? Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We are to be watchful. We are to be ready. Because he's coming. I don't know when, but yes, I can't emphasize that enough. And I hope that you'll grab hold of that. And there will grow in you an expectation of his coming. And you will be watchful, but you will also be ready. And in the marriage, Lamb, we're going to discover a little bit of that readiness that should take place. We're also going to see a little bit of that in the judgment seat of Christ, why we should be ready and so forth. But there's that area that we also should be ready to warn other people about. And that's that issue of the mark of the beast and worshiping the beast. And I believe some of that is in preparation now that people too much don't care what they worship. And most people want to worship however they want to worship. And they want to have their own little private individual church. And uh, people are leaning more and more towards that. The so-called what we call organized church or church institution. Uh, today uh, that is falling on deaf ears to many people. But the Lord's word tells us not to forsake the gathering of ourselves. Now, 
you say, well, I'm gathering in a home, I'm gathering with this small group, I'm gathering with this. I have no argument. But I would say to you this. Church is not really defined in scripture for us, whether in large building, small building, or what. But he calls it the church. And the only thing we have historically that somewhat describes the church for us is the early church. And Paul wrote the letters to the early church. And that somewhat sets the picture for us. And we begin to see churches grow and things take place. And so it doesn't matter if you meet in the basement of a home and you're a church and you are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ or if you're meeting in a cathedral and you're a church. The Lord says, don't forsake the gathering of yourself because there's the encouragement that we're going to encourage one another. Now, I know this is that ripple going through here today. Some people don't want stained glass. They don't want pews. They don't want anything that look like what we think is a church. A lot of made up rules are hurting the church. We're not perfect. I'll be the first to admit that. But we have a history of the way the church has functioned and it seemed like it has served our Lord and Savior well. I don't know what church will look like tomorrow. I can only talk about the past. But what I do know is this. It, based on the heart of the believer to want to be with other people of like-mindedness and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether that be in a sanctuary area or a storefront or a basement, but that you are gathering together to encourage each other and to learn from this word of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that you're going to hold one another accountable for your faithfulness in Jesus Christ. And that somehow will carry on down through generation. I had a very important question asked me. And the question is, how does it affect me? What I'm talking about this in Revelation, what I'm talking about, most likely I won't be here. At my age, unless the Lord comes in the next few months or the next one or two years, there's a good opportunity that I will not be here. It's very possible I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be absent from the body present with the Lord. But this is how it affects me. I have some unsaved loved ones. I have some who say that they're saved. I have some who say, oh yeah, they know the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't walk nowhere near a believer's walk or someone who believes in Jesus Christ or according to this scripture. And I sense of responsibility or have a responsibility to share with them as much as I can what that future might look like. That if they somehow begin to see these things happen that are mentioned in here and have not read it, hopefully by me saying it to them, they've heard it. And what they've heard and now they are seeing begins to ring a bell and will drive them to search to see if this would be. If what scripture is talking about, is it real? That's what's important to every believer. Because if you sit down and you ask yourself about your own children, your own biological children, do they all know the Lord? Are they walking with the Lord? If not, they need to know about this.
than your grandchildren. And see, I have a great-grandchild now. She's only two. Is it possible that she might be living in such a time when the Antichrist sets up and the beast, first beast and second beast are there? When they are forced to worship or deceived into worshiping some image of the first beast? And maybe something that they heard from grandpa, grandma, somebody rings a bell and says, don't do it. Don't do it. And even at that point, in that late hour, if they accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they will be saved. Because there's still only one name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. Even in the time of tribulation, there's only one name, and that is the name of Jesus. And scripture tells us in Revelation that many will be saved. Many will be saved. And I'm praying that somehow what is said today will be carried down from one generation to another generation to another generation. And it tells us to teach each generation. Didn't say if they would believe it or not. But it tells us to at least teach it, to at least share it. And that's what I'm about with this. It's not about if it affects you, per se. Some of us will not be here when these things really begin to unfold and take place. But there will be people living who would have heard and now they may see and hopefully they will have that opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If they take the mark, what might happen? Well, the mark is not going to be by choice per se. Many people are deceived, but I think we're living in an environment, again, that many people are being tattooed. And, 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 and I understand it's just a fad today, and it's a large fad, but maybe it's also a mental conditioning. There's a lot of things that are on people's bodies that people don't know what they really stand for. They're, they're a symbol, they're a picture of something, there's something there, but every marking has a story behind it, or a meaning behind it. There's not a marking that you can make that there is not a meaning in some manner that it's a symbol of something, or is saying something, or there's some type of history behind it. But people are getting accustomed to just getting tattoos, getting marks, so there's nothing really wrong with it. And that sometimes we used to call in a, some years back brainwashing. But it's a consciousness. It's a preparing a society to accept certain things. And we're being somewhat conditioned to not believe in a living God, but only in what we might see. And therefore, we see this idol that is set up. And we are deceived, and people are deceived to worship this idol. So in Revelations chapter 13, just again, just briefly, I want to touch on this thing of the mark, because it's important. He says in verse 13, uh, chapter 13 and verse 16, he also forced everyone, small, great, rich, and poor, it doesn't matter who you are, what kind of title you have, what position you have. If you're going to live life comfortably, per se, you're going to have to receive this mark. And he says, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. 
So you can take it on the right hand or the forehead. And uh, that mark is basically saying that you are a worshiper of the image of the first beast and that you have rejected, in a sense, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, and this is what brings on part of the problem of taking the mark and why many people will also then take the mark because it's going to cause a problem in society if you don't have the mark. It's going to be very difficult for you. And he says, so that no one could buy or sell. Buy or sell. Well, right now, we go out freely buying and selling. But we also are recognizing something else. We are slowly moving to a cashless society where you're not going to really carry money in your pocket. Everything's going to be done by either a mark or by a card. Uh, I, I, I went to get a new Sam's Club uh, card membership and the lady told me, well, they don't give a card anymore. Uh, it's by app. It's on your phone. And so they, uh, I said, I don't use my phone that that way i don't have my bank account i don't have anything concerning that on my phone and she said well here's a slip of paper with the number and the uh, barcode and so forth you hang on to that and they'll just scan that and um it's good to have children who can use all this technology today so i have the barcode on my phone I hate if I lose my phone, somebody be charging a Sam's Club on my phone. I don't know, or can be using it. But the thing is, it's on my phone. And there are certain things that we've been accustomed to that we see ourselves losing more and more and more up. And it's a conditioning of a society to do without, to do without cash, to have another means of being able to transact business or to trade. And the mark is going to be a way of trading, selling, and receiving. And he says, to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark. Now, some people just throw that off because they don't believe nothing that the Bible says. And uh, that's up to them. But understand, if people know this, and they begin to take note of what's happening, boy, is the Bible real? Is the Bible true? Was the Bible talking about this? And see, part of our job is to let people know these things are going to happen. Whether they believe it or not, these things are going to happen. And he says, so that no one could buy or sell unless he has the mark, which is the name of the beast and the number of his name. Now, what you also need to know is simply this. If you take that mark and you never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and you totally reject the gospel, you're going to suffer worse. You're going to go through more suffering than if you did not have the mark. It is better to reject the mark, not worship the image, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and yes, suffer terribly because you did not take the mark. But I want you to listen to what takes place later on. We don't know how much later on. We don't know how much time between the Antichrist and the false prophets and then this third angel who is going to speak. The Bible doesn't give us a laid out timetable. I don't know if this time of the mark is going to last six months, if it's going to last a year. Uh, some will predict, yes, we, we're talking about a seven-year period. This is taking place in the last part of the three and a half years. And, and, and yes, all that is a possibility. But I can't tell you exactly how long it is because it's not mentioned here. Or if I can tell you, 
is going to happen because it is mentioned here. And that's the important part. God is not a liar. God gives us insight. God gives us knowledge. He gives us wisdom. He does not always tell us every little detail. But he gives us enough to discern the time in which we're living and know how to respond. So when you come down into chapter 14 of Revelation, and I want you to come down to verse 9, and it says the third angel. And the third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worshiped the beast and his image and received his mark on their forehead or on their hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury. He too will drink of God's fury which would be far worse than anything you could have experienced by not taking the mark up in chapter 13. That if you take the mark, you're going to suffer a greater pain, a greater terror than what you could have ever suffered by rejecting it. He too will drink the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angel and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. And there is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or catch this now for anyone who received the mark of his name now here comes the warning light behind all of this remember what I said it's good that we could meet together be together encourage each other that's so important look what comes in verse 12 of chapter 14. This is called, this calls for patience. Patience for who? Of the Christian. What kind of patience? Waiting for the deliverance of God. Waiting for the deliverance of God. Waiting for God to do his work. Waiting for God to rescue you. Not you yourself. Not you trying to figure it out, how you're going to get out from under this. But believing what scripture says and what David says, that I've never seen the righteous forsaken, that you will not be forsaken by God. If I can drill that into the heads of my great-grandchildren, that God will never forsake you, because I don't know what's going to happen in their time. I don't know at this point, at two years old, she's going to accept the Lord when she's younger or when she's older. I don't know when the little 10-year-old, will he accept the Lord? Has he really accepted the Lord? Uh, these things, I don't know. But is it possible that the Lord could come in their lifetime? Yes! Yes! And because of the knowledge I have of this word, that affects me. That affects me. I don't want to even ever think of them worshiping the image of that first beast. I don't want to think of them taking a mark and being deceived by Satan, being deceived by the Antichrist. But I have to be realistic. There's a possibility. And that's how it affects me, and that's how it will affect you if you really give thought to it. 
And he says, this calls for patience, waiting on God. Then he says, endurance. You have to be able to endure some suffering, some pain, some things that are going to take place that cause discomfort, that cause hardships. To endure the hardships of that time. To overcome them. And he says, it's on the part of the saints, those who have believed in that time. In that time, they have to have patience and endurance. And then he tells us this here. Who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Those who will obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. And Jesus asked this little question. When I come. Will I find any faithful? Will they lose faith? Will they lose sight of Jesus? Hebrews says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and finisher of your faith. And my eyes fixed. Will their eyes be fixed on Jesus? Not on some image. Not worshiping some image. But will they have patience, will they endure, will they obey God's word, and will they be faithful to the end. That's something that has to be shared with the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Because right now, you can say there's four generations that I'm looking just in my family down. My children, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren. See, it's going to affect you too. Because it's going to affect people who you love and you care about. And I pray that you will share truth with them. Because one day you're going to stand at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're going to have to give an answer about how did you live this life. And that's what's important about the judgment seat. It's an accountability of how you live this life. And you need to understand this. As Paul said, there's no longer I that live, but it's Christ Jesus that live in me. That Christ paid the price for you to have new life, but how are you really living this life? And you're going to give an account of your stewardship of this new life that God has given unto you. Now, go with me to Second Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to have to rush just a little bit. <clears throat> in Second Corinthians chapter 5, now I want you to pick up with me in verse 9. Because he tells us to do something. And we have to be willing to do it again. He tells us in that verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him. We make it our goal. Don't matter what time period, what dispensation, historically or, or what's going on during your certain time of life, the circumstances, the, the Christian goal is the same. Don't matter what period of history we might look at. It's the same. Please God. Be obedient to God. Live for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says our goal. Is simply to do this. Please him. To please him. Whether we are in the body. Or away from it. 
if we're in the body, we're living in this present time. We're, we're in this body. You're living in that present time. And the goal is still the same. Please, God. And if I'm out of the body and I'm with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the same goal in eternity. Please, God. We exist to do one thing. Please, God, by how we worship him, how we serve him, how we love him. That our life becomes an instrument of pleasing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. People, grab that. We're so concerned about pleasing ourselves and enjoying ourselves. And I'm not calling you to a life of suffering or misery or, 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 or a total life of just denying yourself. No, God wants you to enjoy life. He gave you life. But in that, don't throw him out of it. That everything you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it with a desire of pleasing him. Pleasing him. That when you laugh at something, you're laughing in such a way that you're pleasing him. Not something that you should not be laughing at. Because it's really not funny. It's displeasing. It's distasteful. It's tearing somebody down. It's hurting somebody. But that you're doing it. And in that laughter, you're pleasing him because of the joy of the Lord. And God has revealed something beautiful to you. Something joyful to you. Totally different. You're helping people. You're lifting people up. You're encouraging people. You're being kind to people. You're being gentle to people. And sometimes when you do good deeds, there is a laughter in it. There's just fun in helping people at times. But he says our goal is to please God. Whether in the body or out of the body. Then in verse 10 he says, For we must all appear. We must all appear. Everybody who names the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who is looking to the cross or looking back at the cross. Is going to have to appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Not just the church, but everyone. Every believer is going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. Because there's only two judgments. A judgment seat for all who believe throughout history and a judgment for all those throughout history who refuse to believe. There's only two judgments. Judgment seat of Christ and white throne judgment. There's none other. There is no other. Just those two. And the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer, for the saints. Not just the church age, but for everybody that ever believed in God and with the expectation of the coming of Jesus and the acceptance of Jesus and even those who believe during the time of the tribulation everyone who believes will be here at the judgment seat of Christ and everyone who denied him rejected him and would not accept him whether it be Old Testament New Testament tribulation whatever will be at the white throne judgment for unbelievers. Only those two judgments. Judgment seat of Christ and white throne judgment. Now, one of the main concerns that we should have and we need to understand 
not to be fearful. Sometime, go back to Matthew chapter 10, and verse 28. <clears throat> he gives us this little warning. And it takes place sometime in real life and in historical times. And we know of people, those who we call martyrs. We know those of China that have died. We know those in Africa that have died. We know those in Saudi Arabia and Iran and Muslim countries who have died for the faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They would not denounce him. And those who are lived in America that would not denounce him and yet suffered in some way or some manner because of their faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we may yet see that day come in America again. So he says in 28, do not be afraid of those who killed the body. Because that's all man can do. That's all man can do is kill the body. Man can't touch your soul. Man can't touch your spirit. Man can only touch this which is dying anyhow. His fleshly body. He says, don't be afraid of those who can only kill this body. But cannot kill the soul. So he limits what man can do. Man can only afflict the body. Cannot afflict the soul. I like what a slave once said. So I was reading Jordan Rowe, an old book about slavery, but the slave said this, you can chain my body, but you cannot chain my soul. You may be able to kill my body, but you can't kill my soul. And he says, don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body or do harm to the body. Now, understand me. I don't want to suffer one bit. I don't want to be hurt one bit. I don't like pain. <laughs> but I do understand what the scripture is saying. Don't be so afraid of man and what man can do that you would reject Jesus Christ. Understand, you're going to have to stand before him if you're a believer. And if you're a non-believer, you're still going to Stand before him and give an account of your life. But for the believer, he says, if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my father. Now that's something to think about. I don't want to get into all the ratification because somebody can say very quickly, well, that's just talking to the unbeliever, those who reject, those who would not accept. And that may be, but the scripture is there. If you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my father. That doesn't say that you would lose your salvation. You would be cast into hell. It's just making a statement. You would be denied. I don't know the full indefiniteness of that. But I want to remind you of it. Don't deny him. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Unto the Jew first and then the Gentile. It's the power of God. And in that hour in which you have need of him, he'll show up. And he'll strengthen you. And he says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He tells them who we really need to be afraid of. Be afraid of him. 
who can touch the soul and who can do something with the body. Be afraid of him. Be afraid of him. And he said, we're all going to appear before that judgment. Don't allow yourself to be frightened by people that you do things that you later on are ashamed of because they were against the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to give an answer. You're going to be held accountable for all that you do in this body. And you have a stewardship of that life which Christ has given to you. How are you living it? How are you taking care of it? How are you polishing it? How are you feeding it? How are you using it for the glory of God? Boy, this, this time is going quicker than I wanted to go. Sometimes I wish I could slow time up, but I, I understand the only way we can do that is God. But he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now catch this next line. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. That is due him while in the body. That you're going to give an account for everything that you've done while in this body. Whether it be good or bad. Now, once you take hold of that, Christians can do bad things. And that's why he says good or bad. He didn't just say good. As Christians, we can do some bad, horrible things. We can make some of the worst decisions. And we will be held accountable for those decisions. We will be held accountable for our actions, for our words. We're going to be held accountable. And you need to know that one day God is going to hold you and you're going to have to answer for how you steward the life that he gave you. Because your life is not your own. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But as long as I'm at home in this body, I have a responsibility to please God, to serve him. And we're going to give an account for that. How we performed, what we did, how we used this time, the opportunities that he gave us to witness or to do good or to show kindness or to show mercy. We're going to give an account of how we steward this life that he gave us. Because it really is a life that he's given to us. That's what being born again is all about. A life that God has given. Not what flesh and blood has given. But what God has given through the gift of eternal life. Now, you also want to catch something else here. Talk about the Bema seat. The Bema seat is a Greek word, Bema, which has with it a place of dignity, honor, authority, and rewards. It was a place where Somewhat the judge set who was watching the games taking place. And from that seat, he would give the rewards to the winners. And from that seat, Jesus gives us our rewards for living the life that he has given unto us. And being overcomers. And living victorious as he has given us the victory. Living 
in the power of the Holy Spirit and using the gifts of the Holy Spirit and glorifying Him. He's going to give those gifts from the beam of seat. In Romans 14.10, it talks about also a judgment seat or not so much a judgment seat, but a judgment of people. But the word there in the Greek is different, karosa, and which means a judgment of condemnation or association with condemnation. Well, Romans 8.1 tells us there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is none at all. So we should not fear the judgment seat of Christ, but we should be aware that we are going to give an answer for how we lived in this body and how we served the Lord with this gift of life that he's given us. Now, when we get to the marriage of the Lamb, we need to understand, and I want to turn there real quick, go to Revelation 19, we may not be able to get it all, so we may share some more of this next next week, and hear just a little bit more about this area of the judgment seat, but I do want to at least comment on the marriage of the Lamb. If you go to Revelation 19, <coughs> and both of these things take place. The judgment seat and the marriage of the Lamb both takes place after the rapture. And we need to understand that it is a time in which we need to know that God is going to do something special for us. It's almost like when you play sports and you have the banquet and you give out the awards. and all. It's, it's, it's a joyful time. But it's also a time in which he then celebrates with his bride. So in verse 7 in Revelation 19, he says, Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad. And give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. That uniting of that body of Christ with their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's the uniting of the bride and the groom. It is now complete. And he says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Catch that. His bride has made herself ready. She has kept herself pure for him. She has done the things that are proper and right as a bride. She is still that virgin. She has not abused her body with other people and so forth. And that's what we are with the Lord that when we say we don't abuse these bodies, we take care of this temple. Why? It's the Lord's. We take care of this body. Why? It's a gift from God. And we make it ready for him. Our spiritual life. Our spiritual mind. We're making it ready for him. There's a part we have to do. That's for the Lord says, be ye holy as I am holy. He knew that we were not holy. And he also knows we can't just make ourselves holy without him. And Jesus knows we can't make ourselves clean without his blood, without being washed by him. And that all takes place. But we're the ones who have a part. And that's why he says, has made herself ready. What are you doing to make yourself ready for Christ? See, the bride 
boy, she goes into that room and the, the, the groom's not supposed to see her until she comes out. But she's making herself ready and she's putting on that wedding gown and, and she's doing all the preparation, the hair, the, 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 the makeup, whatever. But she's making herself ready for one purpose, to walk down that aisle. And meet her groom there. And here is the people of God. While we're living, we're making ourselves ready for our groom, for Jesus Christ. Says she, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The righteousness of Christ, the, the beauty of Christ. He provides that for us. The clothing that we put on. And he says fine linen is not the everyday clothing. When I put on Christ, it's not the everyday clothing of this world. It's him. And I'm making myself ready for him. And he goes on and he says something about this fine linen. He says, the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Now go back to the judgment seat of Christ. Will there be righteous acts that you have performed, that you have done, that you have lived out for the glory of Christ? Those are the things that we have to ask ourselves and then make ourselves ready for him. And he goes on and he says, then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited. All who is at this wedding have accepted the invitation of salvation of Jesus Christ. You're invited. We've all been invited to this wedding. And only those who have been invited will be there. No one else. Just those who have been invited. Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. These are the true words of God. You've been invited. And Jesus Christ says, today is the day of salvation. He says, for as many who have received him, that they shall become the sons of God. People, are you ready for the judgment seat of Christ? Are you ready for the marriage of the Lamb? Are you willing, if you live or your grandchildren live, are you praying that they will forgo the mark or the worshiping of an image that would cause them to reject the Lord Jesus Christ? See, we have to deal with these difficult things. And a lot of people just want to push them under the rug. A lot of people don't want to give any attention to it. But I pray that you'll go back to Scripture. You'll take a look at it for yourself. And you'll ask this question. Is this really going to take place? Is there going to be a time that a false image will be built? This statue of the first beast and the second beast will be trying to make me worship it. And understanding those words beasts mean literally men, human beings, who Satan are using to deceive people. And then... Will there really be a judgment seat of Christ? 
will believers really have to be at this judgment seat? Or I'm just going from earth to heaven, then it's over. No, you're going to give an account of your stewardship for this thing called eternal life, for the life that's been given to you, that has been purchased for you by Jesus Christ. You're going to give an account of your stewardship of it. And lastly, do you really understand you've been invited to this marriage feast, to this celebration, where you will truly see the Lord of Lords and King of Kings? And if you haven't accepted the invitation, would you do so today? Would you just simply say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and save me to the othermost. It don't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. But it has to be pacific and it has to be sincere. You're the one that has to pray it from your heart. God will understand even your groaning. Because he's not so much interested in your words as he is in your heart. And he knows the heart of every man. And if you're sincere, his answer will be, you're invited. You're invited. Father, would you minister to us? Would you somehow open our eyes and our ears to your word? And Lord, would you give us faith to believe your word? Would you help us, O oh God, to be men and women of God? To not live in a way that pleases this world, but make it our goal. That we live to please you. Thank you for what you're going to yet do. May you bless this time. And we'll give you praise in Jesus name. Amen. Well God bless you. May God keep you. And may the word somehow excite you. That you really will desire. To live in a way that is pleasing to God. Well, I'll see you next week, and we may pick back up on some of this. Uh, but God is moving, and, and we just want to move along with him. But uh, we're going to stay in Revelation, like I said, just picking out some of these highlights and talking about them. And uh, we're not trying to just go from Revelation chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. Uh, we're just going to move little by little by little as God would have us to move. And... I pray that he opens our ears, that we see and we know that it is the living God who is speaking to us through his word. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. Amen.